You may uh, notice some uh, flowers up here, and I think I saw some in the kitchen also. I heard, huh? They, okay. <laughs> uh, these uh, came from uh, Lee Strickland. Uh, I think they were there, uh, there at uh, Wilma's uh, funeral on uh, Wednesday. And um, just remembering her, remembering her, uh, her life here, and if, and if you were part of that gathering, uh, I know you appreciated some of the things that were said. Um, Richard just mentioned the young people being gone and how much we appreciate them. And on the other hand, I appreciate the old also, and the, and the old, the ones who are getting old. Um, you know, they, they, there's such a need for us to look at one another and to appreciate the strengths that we, we have. Uh, I am so thankful for the little babies screaming out there. Uh, I compete sometimes with you. It's okay. <laughs> but, I mean, wh- where would we be without those little ones? And they shouldn't really bother us that they're here and they... You know, my, our, the parents are here struggling with those little babies and trying to, uh, you know, trying to hear something that is said while dealing with those children. And we forget that, you know, as we get older, we forget that we once had those babies and we struggle with them, too. And uh, but, you know, as as we age, you know, we need to think, you know, Wilma, I, was, uh, I think you guys came in 79. Was that right? 1979. And there's so many of the young people who weren't, weren't even around then. And during those times, uh, we, Wilma and some of the older ones here were active. They were the young Marys and the, and the uh, young, young singles and everything, busy in, in, uh, in the church and the work of the church. And then as they age, you know, as we age, we just slow down. We just can't go like we used to. And it slows down even more and more to the point that we just kind of, we're, you know, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. You're on the fringe, and nobody appreciates you anymore. They don't know the work that you did. But, you know, God appreciates you, and he knows what you've done. And we do, and sometimes we forget. And so I think we need to look at both ends of this and be thankful for the very youngest and thankful for the very oldest. I I believe in our Wednesday uh, announcement sheet, Martha uh, was the write-up of Martha Jones, and and some of the older ones know who Martha is. 105 years old, part of the body for many, many, many years, and uh, we're thankful for from from the babies to the 105-year-olds that we have. Uh, Lee, we uh, will keep you in our prayers. We know it's going to be a difficult time. Uh, we know that she's in a better place, and we're thankful for that. Um, let me. I was I, I was going to not read this, but let me go ahead and read it because I, I was sent this by two people, and it's an article that I, I it's very short, so let me just read the article. Uh, <clears throat> the head of the headline of the article says, uh, "Half the congregation dies of starvation as sermon goes 15 minutes overtime." This is out of Russellville, Arkansas. Roughly half of the churchgoers of First Baptist Church, Russellville, died of starvation Sunday after the pastor tragically went 15 minutes over his standard sermon time, local sources confirmed. 
We don't know if the pastor simply lost track of time due to passion while preaching the Word of God or something more nefarious was going on, Police Chief Dwayne Carroll told reporters Monday morning. It's hard to imagine that Pastor Frank did not notice the panicked glances at phones and watches along with the thunderous stomach growls and moans of agony reverberating throughout the sanctuary within minutes after he began to breach the normal closing time, the chief continued. Whatever the case, he went well over his standard allotted time for delivering his message and roughly 75 people in attendance simply could not hold out, succumbing to their hunger before the end of the church service. Thankfully, the other half was able to make a speedy exit as soon as they dismissed, frantically rushing out the doors and flooding all local restaurants for emergency sustenance. (laughs) Pastor Frank should have known the dire consequence of a church service going even a minute past its normal ending time. One survivor noted to reporters, I mean people, have to eat. (laughs) Police Chief Carroll confirmed that the investigation is ongoing. So, anyways, having have that sent twice <laughs> to me, <clears throat> I want you to know that that I am aware of the time, and that I I really am doing my best to not be so passionate about the Word of God and get you guys out. <laughs> and I have said, you know, if there is a reason that you need to leave, don't. Don't be embarrassed. I know it is, and it could be embarrassing. But if you need to leave, and I know some people do at times, and it's legitimate, you just get up and go. Just like those babies when they're screaming, we're thankful for them, and they need to get up and go sometimes. If you're older and you need to get up and go, we're, 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 we uh, are thankful you're here anyway. And it is true. I, I have actually begun to limit my notes so that I won't speak a song. But... No promises. Um, the, and so many things happen. Like uh, there's, we had the application to this lesson before the lesson, what, what um, Ed was sharing and the, um, the prayers uh, from Neil and Lauren were actually application. They, I didn't know they were going to do this, but they must have been reading the Bible and coming, uh, seeing what the Scripture said, and we're going to, that's the application for what we're going to say today. So turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. In a moment, we're going to read 16 through 18, even though we're not going to cover this whole uh, area. Life is a journey. We're going somewhere. We're going someplace. And so we're reminded throughout the whole Bible that this physical, earthly existence is temporary. We spoke about that last week. Ed Ditto shared about with us along that line last week. And what is real and what is eternal is the spiritual, not this physical. The life journey that we're on is not about collecting things. It's not about fame. It's not even about being comfortable in this life. But for those who are in Christ, it's about what is real. And the Bible tells us what's real, faith and love. Is real, And 1 John has a great deal to say about these fundamental, these two fundamental aspects of our life journey. He helps us define it. We define what faith is and what love is as, as we've been going through this. Two weeks ago, we read the first part of this verse, six, uh, verse 14, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 16, the first part, where he says, um, I need to turn my page here. 
so I don't get confused. Start preaching in chapter 3, and we'll be here for a long time. All right, chapter 2. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And so what are you saying here? We know we experience in our Christian life. That's what that word means. We have this experience in our Christian life of this amazing love God has for us, and we lean heavily on it. And that lean heavily, that that word rely, means the word is actually faith or belief. We place our faith in this marvelous and unbelievable love God has for us. And so as we enter this section, verse 16 through 18, John's really going to begin to stretch our faith even more. And it's, it's so wonderful, we're not going to be able to get into just, we're just going to introduce it today and continue with it next, our, our, in our next lesson. He's already told us some things that are unbelievable, of such unbelievable quality that it seems far-fetched, implausible, impossible. And I've said the good news is so good that it's hard to believe. Once we realize what the good news is, once we really get into it and see what God's good news is, it's so good, it's almost impossible to believe. And all this is tied up in God love, which is who God is and how he acts toward us. You know, our natural tendency is to view God totally different than what he really is. Um, in Romans, let me get over here. Romans, let me just read. You don't have to turn over here. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, Although, and he's talking about those who are not Christians right now, although they knew God, I think that's interesting, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, they, these people, they know God, but then their, their, their worldview, they, even though they know him, they, he was shown uh, to them. They began to think differently. Their, their, their thinking was darkened. They viewed God totally different than who he really is. And I believe part of Christianity is, re, is God re-educating us who he is. And we always drift, drift back to this, maybe our early teaching, maybe the society teaching of what God is and who God is. And so God, in his nature is manifested to us in Christ. In Christ, in Jesus, he says, this is who God is. Look at Jesus, you see who, who God is. And we learn, and we're in the process of continually learning how to express that same God love toward one another. Rooted in this love, if we really begin to understand it, and as I've begun to understand it more and more, I begin, there's a great assurance that comes into our lives. This is the result of understanding God's love. Assurance. Let me just, I went through part of uh, 1 John and just pulled out some. There's an assurance of who, of who we are. We're God's children. Chapter 3, verse 1. There's an assurance of our condition. What's our condition? We're purified from all sin. Chapter 1, verse 7. There's an assurance of where we are. We live in the light. Chapter 1, verse 10. There's an assurance of victory. We have overcome the evil one. Chapter 2, verse 13. An assurance of comfort. We live in him. 
chapter 3, verse 24, an assurance of his love for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we could go on and on throughout 1 John and, and be, we're continually assured of who we are and where we are and our condition and how God views us and how God treats us. And so what bursts forth when we begin to grasp this, when we begin to really see it, what bursts forth from all this is the very purpose, purposes of, of John's writings, of John's writing in 1 John. You remember them, don't you? I keep repeating them so you won't forget. When we read this book, what's the first thing that should come from it? Chapter 1, verse 4. Joy. Overflowing joy. If you read 1 John and you don't get joy, you don't get 1 John. All right? Because your joy, I write this so that your joy will just be overflowing is what that word means. Joy be complete, as I think the NIV says. And the second thing, what does it say? Chapter 2, verse 1, so we will not sin. So we will not sin. And so if you look at 1 John and you say, this is my excuse to sin. Now I can sin. Now I can get by because God loves me so much, I can do whatever I want. You miss it. You miss the point. You miss what John is saying. If there's an excuse to sin that you read in 1 John, you're missing what John is saying. You're misreading it. He wrote it so you will not sin. And number three, what does he write? And we hadn't gotten there yet, so if you forget this one, I understand. Chapter 5, verse 13 to 14. can't remember which one right now. So that you know, that you know you have eternal life. And so if you're not sure that you have eternal life, you're missing what John is saying. He says, I write this, I wrote this to you so that you will know. And we are not there yet, so by the time we get to chapter 5, verse 13, surely you'll begin to get a glimpse of eternal life, that you can know that you have eternal life. All this is, is part of growing, maturing in the blessed life of God, God love that we exist in. And so for the next couple of weeks, I want you to hang on to your seats. John's going to test the limits of your faith. I'm going to share something with you in our next lessons that you're going to like, I just don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. It. It's just too good to be true. And the question is, do you believe these things? Do you believe these things, that he's purified me from all sin? It's hard to believe. And these things are even going to be harder to believe. <clears throat> Let's read, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 16 through 18. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I really was going to try and cover that all, and there's no way to do it. Well, there is. Just read it and go on. Go home. And maybe miss the point. But let's, let's lay a foundation to, uh, today. First of all, we see that God is love. This is a description and a definition of God. Only three, way, three places that uh, is this kind of wording, uh, describing who God is, is in, and it's all in, in, the, in uh, John's writings. In John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, verse 24, he says, God is spirit. In the first part of 1 John, he says, God is light. And here he says, God is love. And this is important. <clears throat> He's not saying that God is loving. 
Although he is, God is loving, but he's saying he is love. When is God not spirit? God is spirit. When is he not spirit? Well, he's spirit. God is light. When is he not light? He's always light. And in the same way God is love, when is he not love? Well, he's always love. This is his essence. This is who he is. He's not loving sometimes and wrathful sometimes. He's not loving sometimes and angry sometimes. He's loving. When he expresses anything he expresses, when he expresses wrath, that is love. When he expresses anger, that is love. And we don't understand that. We kind of sit, sit back because we're messed up. Because we, when we get angry, we are not loving. Oh, sometimes, all right? Sometimes you are. But when we're wrathful, sometimes we're not loving. We're, we're the ones that messed up are messed up. God's wrath is even an expression of love. And we, well, I've touched on this before. We don't have time to go into depth. But everything he does, we need to remember, is an act of love. We may not understand how that works. It may be too deep for some. It may be hard to understand, but just let your faith hold on to this. He is love. When I don't understand what he does, when I don't understand his judgment, for instance, he is love. And we can sit down over coffee and we can talk about it and because we can just go on and on about it and dig into it more if you need to. But that is where you just need to put your, your feet and your foundation. He is love, even when it's expressed in a way that I sit there and say, is that love? He is. And I say that because the Bible tells us that. We anchor ourselves in, in love. This, this will be the last time that we're going to see these three wor- this word, uh, abide or dwell or live. Three times he's going to use it here, the last three times in this, in this verse. And so, as we look at this word, live, abide, or dwell, and let me read it to you. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God, in the Greek says, lives in him, God in him. So, three times in this verse, it says, live, live, live. And it's this word, abide, or remain, or dwell, it's different translations. And there it is in the Greek, "mino" is the word, if you use the same word over and over. And there's a meaning, a depth of meaning behind this that, it, that since this is the last time I'm going to say it, that I that I'm, think I'm going to say it anyway, last time we're going to, that it said in First John, I want to remind us what this word means so that when you read it, we live in God and God lives in us. Instead of just a, an abstract thought of love, a live, think about this. It means being at home. It means being comfortable. It's a secure place. Hunkering down. It's permanent. This is not a hotel visit. This is a permanent dwelling. It's calming. It means to stay still. It's stable. It's vital. It's fellowship with God. And I realize that some of your homes are not like this. Some of you go home to a home that is not calm, that is not stable, that is not comfortable. I understand that. But God's home is comfortable. 
It's stable. You don't walk into God's home and, and don't know what's going to hit you. It's stable. It's vital. It's fellowship. It implies friendship. It implies communion. It implies maintenance of this relationship. There's something you do to keep it going. You don't just sit there and do nothing. It means to endure. It means to persevere. It means to be in a close and settled union. It implies a cordial relationship. It's genuine. Enjoyment is in this word. And it's for every Christian, not just for the super saints. That's what he means when he says, I live in him and he lives in me. This is not an abstract thought. It means all this, put them all together and try and get that feeling, you could say, when he says, I abide, he abides in you and you abide in him. It's a friendship. It's a relationship. It's communion on and on. And so he says, whoever lives in love lives in God. This is the controlling factor of our lives. We are like God in this. He says we are not to be loving sometimes and then sometimes be something else. We're not to be loving at times and then other times we're angry and we kind of flip flop back and forth. This God love, this love that he, that he, he defines for us, characterizes our life, our lives. John's been developing this point all throughout 1 John and he keeps on emphasizing it and bringing it up again and again and expanding on it. And so if you're a little tired of this, if it's a little cum cumbersome to you, he repeats it, he stresses it because he's making an important point. And it's more than important. This is a word that defines you. You miss this, you miss it all. If you miss this, you miss Christianity. If you miss this, you miss God. You miss Christ. Those who live in love, whose life is a life of love, they abide, they dwell, they remain in God. I want to just bring us back to chapter 3 very quickly. And we're going to see how this circular thinking that John keeps coming up, he keeps coming back over and over, this, uh, kind of what we call circular thinking, he brings it up over and over again. And we can go back before this even, but in chapter 3, verse 11, he says this is the essence of the message, the gospel. This is the message that could be translated, this is the gospel. What's the gospel? We Sometimes we say believe and be baptized. Well, that's part of the gospel, yeah. But this is the message, he says, love one another. And then in verse 12, he talks about the world, what I call the worldlings here, people of the world. He says they are typified... By a different type of attitude. Uh, their actions were evil. He says in uh, verse uh, 12, do not be like Cain. He actually uses an illustration who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. We spent some time in that verse. And so he, he as he often does, he kind of flips and says, All right, this is the way we're to live. Love one another, but not like the world, not like worldlings, not like Cain. Don't do it that way. You're a changeling. You're a Christian. You're born of God. And so we are typified by love. We have made this great transition from death, Cain-like living, worldly living, to life. Verse 14 of chapter 3, the first part, part of 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love our brothers. 
Love is there. And we know we've made this transition because we're, we are in, even today, the songs we sang, the, the things that were said, a lot of that had to do with how we treat each other, how we love one another. And then in, he continues on in, um, in the last part of that verse, verse 14. He says, anyone who does not love remains or lives in death. So if you're, if you're not loving that way, you're, you're, you're sticking around the world side. You're living in death. And then he expands that thought right here in, in verse 16 where he says, whoever lives or remains or dwells in love lives or remains or dwells in God. It goes all the way back to chapter 2, verse 5 and 10. We won't t- take time to go there because we're running out of time already. Let's look at the opposite of love. John develops this. A lot of times he says, okay, this is what it is, this is what it isn't. So we're going to look at the opposite. Uh, we can describe it. John describes it different ways. We could say the opposite of love is hate. John says, uh, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Chapter 3, verse 15. We could use the word death as the opposite of love. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Chapter 3, verse 14. We could say passive. This is the best word I could come up with. He says, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. Chapter 3, verse 18. And in verse 17, he says, you know, if your brother, you see a brother in need and you don't, you know, if your heart doesn't go out for him and you, you have stuff that you can help him with, then you're not acting in love. But I'd like you to consider this as an antonym to love, the opposite of love, and that's the word sin. Chapter 3, verse 8, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 here to show you that, that the opposite of love is sin. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. And anyone who does not love his brother. So the opposite of love is sin. You know, we talked sometimes about the what I, I keep referring to as the felony sins. You know, when we talk about sins, maybe this is just me. Maybe I'll, I'll confess it then. We're told to confess our sins to one to another. Maybe this is just the way I think. But when I hear the word sins, now I think Richard emphasized this a minute ago. I think of your big sins and not my little sins. That's a kind of a natural thing is to think of my little sin, uh, not to think of my little sins, but to think of the big sins of the world or your big sins. The felony sins, as I've said. And so we look at these and say, well, the opposite of love is sin. And, oh, yeah, if you do those bad sins, well, then, yeah, that's, that's, that's not loving. And uh, let me just read quickly First um, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. These are the kinds of things we, we think of, 9 through 11. He says, don't you know the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Yeah, we know that. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not easy for me to look at those because I don't, I don't live in those things. You know, well, I might have stolen something once, you know. 
You know, it's, it's, I don't, that's not my life. So it's easy for me to look at those and say, yeah, those, those are the bad sins. And we shouldn't do those sins. But I want to bring it down to us today, to me today. Because when I read this, I try and apply it to myself first and say, you know, what, what do I struggle with? And to sum it all up, I struggle with selfishness, the sins of selfishness. And they come in all sorts of forms, manners. We express them different ways. Some of them lead to the felony sins. Of course, that's selfish too. But if we dwell in love and in God, we can't dwell or live for ourselves. And so I ask myself the question, is my life characterized by myself? Or is it characterized by Christ? We see John stressing this God love, which is a reality. He says this is a reality in your life. And it not only leads you to do good and positive things, you know, do the positive things of life, but it also leads you away from sin. And, I, and these sins is what I'm talking about. The arguing, the selfishness, the frustrations, the anger, the what, what, all, the, all those little things that we often ignore. And John says, don't, don't ignore those. Since Christians dwell in love, and therefore we dwell in God, he says, you're really like him. You're like God and you're becoming like God at the same time. That is that Christ-centric life once again. This means that how we think of others isn't based on who they are. It's not based on how they act. But we act toward others in God love. That's our new essence. That's our new, that's the new creation that we are. God's love toward us isn't dependent on how we respond. Have you ever thought of that? God didn't say, when you all straighten up your lives, then I'll send my son. And yet sometimes we act that way. When I straighten up my life, I'll come to God. And God says, no, I've already, I've already done it for you. Independent of what you're going to, how you're going to respond, I've already sent my son. When we, when, when we sin, we act out non-love instead of God-love. We begin to live for ourselves. We center our lives in ourselves. We don't love. And the Bible is just a continual declaration of how to love. He doesn't use these words all, all the time, but it says, this is how you live out your life. This is how you live out God love. And the Bible continues to train us on how to live, what to do, how, how, to, uh, how to speak to others. How we love affects how we live. This is a Christian worldview. This is how we now look at the world. We live in love. We live in God. This is the conduct of our life. Love should be the expression of our lives. It's the center of our being because God is the center of our being. A God-centered life is a love-centered life. Much of the world looks at Christians. Christianity is this. Christians are people who look, their no look down their noses at people who are sinners. That's kind of that's the worldly view of Christians. I think some of that is justified. I think some of it is just 
imposed on, Satan has imposed that on, on people, got them thinking that way. I think Richard again said something like, along the line, he mentioned uh, John 13. We love one another, and by this the world knows that we're his disciples. And so what I want to do, and what I'm encouraging all of us to do, is have a life that is so God-centered and so love-centered that people will look at us and say, Oh, I know religious people, look, or Christians, look down at people like me, but you don't. And I don't know why. That's because you're really living out your life the way you should. I want to be the type of person that when people look at me, and say, they'll say, you know, you're not the typical Christian. You're not the typical preacher. They already say that. <laughs> You already promised I'd go fast, and I'm going slow. All right, thank you. God is in us, and so we must respond to others the same way God responds to us. God did not treat us as we deserve. He did not consider our rebellion and abandon us to our consequences. He considered our needs, responded by sending a Savior. That's God love. That's who he is. And we can say this. This is the normal and natural way for God to respond to our hideous sins. What's the normal and natural way that we would think God will respond to our hideous sins? Punishment? Make us pay for it some way? How many times have you something bad happened to you and you turned to God and said, God, why are you doing this to me? What have I done to deserve this? You're looking at God saying, you know, you're God, God, you're the type of God who punishes quickly, makes me go through these things. Do we look at God as someone who responds in love to our hideous sins? Since God is in us, that's how we need to respond. We don't treat others as they deserve, but, but by what they need. We see others as those who need a Savior, just like we. We needed a Savior, so we need to treat others that way. This is why we can bless those who curse us. We can pray for those who despitefully use us because we're living out our lives in love. To claim the right to what is fair, to look for our own honor, our own protect our own ego, to protect our own status is in opposition to God love. In compassion, we see others as God saw us. Slaves of Satan who need to be rescued and freed by God love. And we see our fellow brothers and sisters as children of the Almighty God who must be loved and helped in spite of their faults and their sins. Love is where we dwell. It's our state of being. It's not something that comes and goes. It's the nature of God. It's the nature of you if you're his child. You abide in the state. This is your state of living this is your new life in Christ because God lives in you and because you live in him. The world lives by its moods. Be careful that you don't live that way. Live by your moods. It's easy to do that. It's the flesh. When they feel like helping others, they help others. I know of a, 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 group, a group of atheists who got together and said, let's do this good deed. And they did a, they did a really good deed once. 
to prove that they could do good deeds. They can do good deeds. Anyone can do good deeds. But the Christian life is learning to live that steady, consistent way of love. Remember what I said? Being at home with God is steady, is permanent, is consistent, is comfortable. This is the way you live your life. This is what is comfortable, living your life in love. It's imitating God. It's letting his life be in you as you continually express that to others. And it's not easy. I wanted to go in depth here, and I'm, just, I'm not going to. I don't have the time to. It's not always being nice. It's not always being sweet. Love, you have to be taught by God through his word what love is because sometimes loving someone is really hard. And sometimes loving someone is sitting down with them and saying, I know what you want, but it's not what you need. I'm not going to give you what you want because you need something else. And the person is going to say, well, you don't love me. And the answer is, I love you more than you know because I'm not giving you what you want. I'm letting you have what you need. And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes it's, okay, I see what you want. I'm even going to give you what you want. But I'm going to tell you, when I give it to you, it's going to hurt you more because you really need something else. And it's hard to do. It's, it's, that's where faith is. Faith comes in. It's like, how do I do that? How do I help someone? And that's the struggle of love. How do I really help someone? How do I really love someone? Because sometimes it's really hard to, to, to know the right thing to say, know the right thing to do. And that's why we're taught of God. It's a high standard, but it's not impossible because he abides in me and he makes it possible. That's how he created me to be. My encouragement is to let God's word teach us how to love. The best way to me is to read through the Gospels and look over and over as, as the Prince of Peace, as the one who loved more than anyone else, lives out his life. You can read his life and you see how he treats people. Sometimes he's in your face and sometimes he just backs off and doesn't do anything. How does he know? How did he know? He was God in the flesh. Sometimes we back off when we shouldn't back off, and we're in the face when we shouldn't be in the face. And that's why we need each other to help each other learn how to love. Let God refine you to be the person that God created you to be, the person who lives in love and who is defined or characterized by love. If we can help anyone in a public way, we're going to give you that opportunity. We're going to sing an sing a, um, invitation song. Uh, one of our elders will be leading the song. The others will come up here, and we can assist you if you need to make any kind of public statement at this point. If not, go out, love each other this whole week. Come as we stand as we sing.